13. We got a whole bunch of prophecy today as we get into the Olivet Discourse. Mark chapter 13. 37 verses. So here's our text because we've got to move, move, move. It says, Then as Jesus went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am he. And will deceive many. But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled. For such things must happen, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. But watch out for yourselves. For they will deliver you up to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake and for a testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Now brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not let the reaper understand then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains let him who is on the housetop not go down into the house nor enter to take anything out of his house let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days and pray that your flight may not be in winter for in those days there will be tribulation such as not been since the beginning of creation which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. And unless the Lord had shortened these days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened the days. Then if anyone says, do you look, here's the Christ, or look, he is there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But take heed, see, I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars of heaven will fall, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds and from the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of heaven. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branches already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near, out the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore... For you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. This is really just an amazing set of verses as Jesus opens up the book of future history and, and gives us a few paragraphs out of it and says, hey, I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen 
at the end of days. And it makes it all the more incredible to me that some groups or teaching traditions uh, in Christianity try to take the, the, the tribulation as allegorical and not literal. I don't get any sense here from this chapter alone that Jesus wasn't talking about a specific event, a specific set of circumstances. I mean, we see, you read this and you get the sense that Jesus is detailing very specific things and that are going to happen in the future. I mean, he's talking about physical things that are going to happen to the earth and to people and, and uh, climate conditions and, and all those sorts of things. But in fact, starting in verse 2, and all down through the rest of the whole chapter, we get all future prophecy. This is all future prophecy uh, other than verse 2. First, Jesus predicted the destruction of the temple, uh, which did occur in A.D. 70 when Titus came in and destroyed the temple. Um, but then the rest of the discourse is talking about the tribulation and the second coming of Christ. Um, now, a while back, if most of you were here, you know, my dad did a study on this whole section of teaching known as the Olivet Discourse. And so... Our purpose this morning, obviously, is not to take an in-depth look at this prophetically. Um, we've done that before. We don't have time to do it this morning. But our purpose is what we've been doing through Mark, to take a devotional look at this text as a chapter and see how and if, really, it fits for our own lives. Because, obviously, I don't know about you, but I take great comfort in the fact that I'm not going to be around for any of this stuff in this chapter. We weren't around for the destruction of the temple in AD 70, and we're not going to be around for the tribulation and... Um, the second coming. So I, I take great comfort in not being present during this period of time that the Lord is discussing. So then the question is for us this morning, looking at this devotionally, is this something that we act, need to pay attention to, you know, or, or is it something that we kind of just read and move on and say, okay, well, yeah, this is a portion of scripture that is intended for a different group of people. Um, you know, that, that's an important way to evaluate the scriptures. I, I think it is a great passage for us devotionally, and I think there are are at least three good reasons from the text that can con connect us right now to what the Lord is teaching about and talking about. First reason, when Peter, James, John, and Andrew came to Jesus and asked him what he was talking about, he, he started giving them prophecies, so they come to him and they say, what are you talking about? Uh, when they did that, the Lord didn't just say, oh, don't worry about it, you're not going to be here for that. I mean, after all, most of those guys, we're not sure when um, Peter, James, and Andrew we're not sure. Well, we know when James died. He certainly died before AD 70. We're not sure about Peter and Andrew wh what year exactly they died. John lived, no doubt, beyond AD 70, um, uh, we would guess. But those guys mostly aren't, weren't even going to be around for verse 2, for the destruction of the temple. Um, but Jesus doesn't say, hey, don't worry about it. We'll cover this stuff in Revelation. You, you, don't need to, you don't need to worry about it. The epistles will explain this to the people who need to know. Instead, he, he took the time to teach these four guys about this stuff, and, and he took the time to therefore teach us by extension. So obviously, the Lord felt like, well, the Lord felt that these were things that they could take away uh, and apply to their lives from what he was saying, even if they weren't going to be bodily present during these end times. Now, the second reason we can connect it to ourselves, we see that last verse, verse 37, very interesting wording where Jesus says, And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. So even though he's describing great tribulation, the second coming of Christ, he said, hey, there are principles here that I'm applying to you, and the, the principle of this parable here at the end, I am applying to what I say to you, I'm saying to everybody, you should watch for the master's coming. So Jesus is going out of his way to include anyone who's, who would hear him. Earlier in the text, I love that little parenthetical thing that Mark throws in there. He says, let the reader understand. He's like, hey, are you reading this? Pay attention. You know, it's really interesting. 
So that's a good indication, verse 37, that we should pay attention to what's going on and what's being taught. And then third, you know, connection point for us is verse 34. Jesus gives us a little parable. He says, it's like a man going to a far country. He left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. And that parable certainly describes the situation we find ourselves in spiritually right now as we compare scripture with scripture and see how the Lord has talked about our lives as Christians. We are servants of Jesus Christ. He has gone into heaven to prepare a place for us. He's given us power and authority to represent him here on the earth. And he's given each of us a specific work to do, a life to live for his good pleasure. And in the scriptures and the epistles and in other parables, we are commanded to watch and be ready for that coming reunion with the Lord, either in death individually or in the rapture corporately. So that parable in verse 34 perfectly describes our lives today. So if we're trying to apply this chapter to our own lives in a devotional sense, you know, we can and we can do so, you know, with good basis. Now, first, you know, you read through this and you might get a little bit concerned because from start to finish, it's just the story of suffering and struggle and destruction. I mean, really heavy duty stuff where the Lord is like, oh, you want to know what's going to happen? I will tell you what's going to happen and, and just lays out all this stuff. I mean, Jesus speaks really frankly about the kind of opposition we are up against as believers. And honestly, it would be a little alarming if the Lord hadn't said what he said in verses 7 and 11. He says, hey, don't be troubled. Don't worry. You know, be, be, be content in me, have rest in me. He says, I, I don't want you to worry about this. These are temporal things and I've got a whole plan I'm working out and you can be at peace. Because yes, all this stuff may be happening, but I know what I'm doing and I know what I'm doing in you and I'm with you. And really, that's what this chapter is all about. That's how this whole discussion got started back in verse 1, where the disciples pulled Jesus aside. They start boasting about how nice the temple was and how beautiful the stones were and all that. And so Jesus stops them, and he does what he's done a number of times already in this book, especially with his disciples. And he says, guys, you're thinking too small. You're thinking too temporal. I want you to think about heavenly things. I need you to think about eternal things and spiritual things. And get your mind off of the stones of the temple and onto the plan of God and the heart of God. And we certainly as post-Pentecost Christians are, are given the same instruction throughout the New Testament to, to focus our mindset not on the temporal but on the eternal. Especially in the parables and in the epistles of the New Testament. Uh, we all know this verse. Paul says to us in Colossians 3.2, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. We're commanded to do that. So that's what we're called to. Now, the keys to actually accomplish that sort of mindset and that sort of uh, calling are given to us in this chapter. Jesus <coughs> demonstrates here that even in the midst of terrible trial or terrible suffering, even if we find ourselves in a world that is completely crumbling and falling apart because of wars and persecution and natural disasters and all of that, Jesus says you can still be hopeful, you can still be heavenly minded, you can still be confident in me, and the two keys from our text are to watch and to work. That's what Jesus says. He says in verse 34 that he's given each of us a work to do while he's away in a far country, assigned each of the servants a specific thing to do in the household or in the kingdom, as it were. And then in verse 37, he says to everyone, watch. He says, be awake. Same thing he said to the disciples the night before his crucifixion. He says, hey, stay awake and pray and watch for me. There's a bunch of stuff we're commanded to watch out for in this chapter. Uh, we're to watch out for deception, verse 5. Watch out for ourselves, verse 9. Tribulation believers are to watch out for the abomination of desolation, verse 14. We're to watch out for false Christ, verse 21. Watch out for signs of Jesus' second coming, verse 29. 
And finally, we're to watch out for the coming of the master in general, verse 35. It's a a lot of stuff, but for us this morning, we can kind of sum all of that watching up into the simple idea that we are to watch for God in our lives. We're to watch for God, watch for him in our hearts, be awake to him, watch out for the things that he's doing. Because God is reaching out to you. That's who he is. That's who our God is. Our God is reaching down to us. He's not hiding himself from us right now. He is reaching down to each one of us and reaching down to this world actively right now. I mean, when you stop to consider who the real target audience of this whole chapter, this whole Olivet Discourse is, it's pretty amazing. Uh, Yes, we've seen that we can all benefit from this teaching. um, But the primary people that Jesus is speaking to here are who? People in the tribulation. People who rejected Jesus before the rapture of the church. People who said, yeah, I'm not interested in God. And then the rapture happened and then they say, and then they're, you know, the Lord still gives them an opportunity to say, hey, turn to me. This is what's going on. This is what the tribulation is. Here's what you're going to watch for. Here's the abomination of desolation. I want you to understand what's going on because he's reaching out to those people. To them, God continues his outreach, even though they've rejected him again and again. And so Jesus says, hey, I'm watching out for you. I'm watching over you. So watch out for me. Watch out for me. Look for me. See what I'm doing in your life. And of course, the same is true in our own life. God watches over us. He reaches out to us. And then he does things in our lives so that we might see him and know him and love him. And so Jesus says to all of us, hey, watch. Watch. Don't don't waste your time here on the earth. Don't waste your life spiritually by trying to avoid me and trying to avoid interaction with me and avoid those things I'm trying to do in and through your life. Instead, we need to understand how mindful of us God is, how the Lord is thinking about us right now. He's watching us. He's reaching out to us. And and we're invited to then watch for him and watch for his work in our lives and his coming for us, to be awake. He says, hey, man, look at what I'm doing. Be awake. And, and, And it's a remarkable thing. But then there's another key that we see here. There's watching and working. Uh, the, the, the little parable there at the end says that the master gives to each servant a specific work to do in the household. And then you combine that with other parts of this chapter, like verse 10, where the Lord says the gospel must be first preached to all the nations. And, and we see that there's a very urgent work that God wants us to do on his behalf. And it's kind of crazy to take this chapter as a whole and see the attitude or the mindset that Jesus is presenting to us. Because on the one hand, you have Jesus saying, hey, uh, we need to get the gospel out to the whole world because human history is coming to an end. It's coming to a judgment. And no one knows the hour of the Lord's coming. And you're going to be beaten and you're going to be persecuted and you're going to be martyred. And there's going to be wars and there's going to be famines and there's going to be destruction. But in the midst of all of that, Jesus says, hey, but don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't be, don't be concerned about that. The Holy Spirit is with you. I'm watching over you. I have a plan. I have a power. I have a purpose for your life. I am with you. So you don't have to worry about any of that. And so the best way I could kind of think to describe the sort of mindset that we're called to in these last days is a kind of casual urgency, uh, which is kind of what I see presented here. Casual in the sense that we're called upon to trust the Lord, to rest and be joyful and expect him to accomplish the things that he said he's going to do. But then uh, an important urgency in all that we're doing to understand that this world is moving ever closer to an inevitable end and an inevitable judgment. Everyone around us is headed for judgment. Everybody. Everybody around us is headed for judgment. They are headed for death. Uh, Some of them are holding a ticket to heaven. Some of them are holding a ticket to hell. And we have to have an urgency about what we do. We need to be less temporally minded 
and, and more eternally minded. Because all those things that we sometimes get distracted by in this world are temporary. The buildings and the conflicts and the material things, those are temporary. And the, the Lord stopped his disciples and says, you know what, guys? Like, it's fine that you're proud of your temple, but man, don't focus on that stuff. Focus on eternal things. Uh, people's souls are eternal. Buildings aren't eternal. People's souls are eternal. And if we don't care about individuals dying and entering into a Christless eternity, then we don't understand what the Lord has been saying about what this life is all about. Um, because he's like, hey, man, this is the real deal. The disciples were talking about some man-made structure, some building they could be proud about. And Jesus said, guys, you got to get your heads in the game. You got to get focused here. You got to start thinking about the future because this is the real deal. This is life and death, and I want people to be saved. I like how verse 9 is translated in the New Living Translation as we close this out. It says, When these things begin to happen, watch out. You'll be handed over to the local councils and beaten in the synagogues. You'll stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. And here, I really love this. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. I love that. Any situation of life, whether it's positive or negative, obviously this chapter has a lot of negative things, but whether you're sitting around a table with your family or whether you're being beaten before a Caesar, as some of these guys would be, they're all opportunities for us to do the work that the Master has given us to do, to tell people about Jesus, to just represent him. And no matter the situation, Jesus stands with us. His power and his provision and his grace and his word are with us. That's the promise that he gives in this chapter and throughout the scriptures. And so the question is, where do you stand with Jesus today? And I don't mean that in the sense of, am I backslidden or am I not backslidden? That's a whole other issue. But in the sense of this chapter, God has placed you in a certain situation and certain relationships and certain circumstances, and he is standing there with you today. And so where am I standing with God today? My guess is that nobody here is going to be martyred for their faith today. I mean, anything could happen, but that's my guess. I'm guessing we're all going to make it to the end of the day without um, being martyred for our faith. And I'm thankful for that. But even though we're not enduring the kind of struggles and persecution that we see in Mark 13, doesn't mean that we don't have as much of an urgent work to do. In fact, all the more we need to watch for God and watch for what he's doing in our lives today because it's easier for us to miss it than it is the Christian in Iran who's about to die. Christian in Iran is like at the end of his race where it's like, hey, do you believe in Jesus? If the answer is yes, we are going to kill you. And it's like, man, the Lord is pouring on grace on that guy. And I mean, it's a whole different situation. For us here who don't experience that kind of persecution, it's easier for us to miss the eternal. It's easier for us to miss the Lord and what he's doing in our lives. So we've got to get our heads in the game. We've got to choose to think about the future, not about temporal things as much. There's an urgency to the Christian life. But there's a danger we'll miss it if we're too wrapped up in this material world. And so if we've lost hope in the coming of the Lord or if we have stopped caring about people going to hell, we just need to wake up. We need to understand the Lord is calling us to wake up and be doing what we're supposed to be doing. And so watch and work. God is standing with you today. And today is your opportunity to be a part of what God wants to do in every nation, every heart, all over the world. So be excited about that. <laughs>